What's going on, everybody? We're back. It's the Sooners Illustrated Podcast, episode 31 on this Monday, October 30th, 2023. Josh Calloway, Tom Green, James D. Jackson back with you on a Monday after a wet, cold, gross weekend in Lawrence, Kansas. Oklahoma took their first loss. We're going to break it all down, recap, react to it all. Gentlemen, how are we feeling after uh, a weekend in Lawrence? It was a bit of a long one. Saturday was very long and cold and wet, like I said. How are we just feeling? Health, energy, all of it after uh, not the best weekend ever in Kansas. A little tired. It was a long drive back for James and I uh, Saturday after the game, but got back a little bit before midnight, and the cold weather seemed to follow us down here. Mm -hmm. So. Yep, yep, same here. Just a little tired, but hey, let's get let's get back to it. Back on the grind, man. Let's do it. Yeah, no, right back to it. Thankfully, weather looks a lot better toward the end of this week and into Bedlam next weekend or this coming weekend, I should say. So excited for that. Obviously, you guys are not in the elements the whole game like I am. Um, it was uh, probably the worst weather I've ever had for a game that I've been at. It, I mean, it doesn't get much worse than like 35 and really, you know, cold and raining like the whole game. So yeah. I, I, I told myself that. Yesterday, I was kind of like, you know, I, I think I've done just about as bad as it'll get. Like, there's really can't really get much worse than that. So maybe BYU will have something to say about that here in a couple of weeks. But I guess we'll uh, we'll see. But yes, Oklahoma lost their first game of the year. Um, you know, for me, for fans tuning in, whenever one of my teams loses, I think most people know me knows I'm a big New York Yankees fan. I actually take in more in a sick way, more Yankees content and podcasts after like brutal losses in the playoffs and whatnot because I just like want more conversation around it so let us be that for you we're going to recap it all we're going to break it down and absorb what the heck happened on Saturday um, and walk this tightrope here of the season isn't over you know you're not going to hear us say that this season is over and dead and Oklahoma's no good that that's not the case but also there were some really glaring bad things that happened on Saturday and we'll get into all of it but guys just start off just kind of general and we'll break it all down, the ins and outs of offense, defense, everything that happened. But just general thoughts coming out of this game in terms of Oklahoma lost a game, and they could have very easily won this game. This game, this this felt a lot like a 2022 game for Oklahoma. Dumb mistakes, poor play calling, timeout management was bad, and they lost a close game that they very easily could have won. And statistically, on paper, you go look at like win probability and stuff like that, if you're into that kind of thing. Oklahoma absolutely should have won this game on paper, but games aren't played on paper, obviously. Just, I guess, your overarching thought you left coming out of that stadium uh, on Saturday and where you're kind of at with Oklahoma right now. Yeah, I mean, I think you summed it up pretty well. Um, this is a game that they had every opportunity to win, mm -hmm. kind of just fumbled it away. Um, really boils down to a couple things. You needed one first down to seal the game, couldn't get it. Yep. Um, defense had its issues, but made some plays late as it's done multiple times, but then just kind of finally buckled in those conditions. But it was just too many self-inflicted errors, penalties, turnovers, play calling, time management, like like you said. Um, things that have kind of been on the periphery for this team for a lot of the season, but they've been able to just play well enough to overcome a lot of it. And it just felt like everything kind of bubbled to the top in this game and it finally caught up to them. Um, I, but I like we were talking off camera before before the podcast. Like, season's not over. Um, if you had told most anyone here heading into the season seven and one heading into Bedlam with a win over Texas, I think most fans would have taken that. Sure, um, 
but obviously when you're seven or no expectations kind of rise and people right. start looking at to, Hey, how good can this team actually be? And I think this was just one of those things where, yeah, they, they blew an opportunity to keep, you know, their undefeated season intact. And now you just kind of have to reset expectations and look at what is realistic for this team this season in year two after a six and seven season a year ago. Yeah, I think I think what's most frustrating about uh, this entire thing, right? If you're an Oklahoma fan, it's like for the people that didn't watch the game, they're not going to understand that this team is drastically different from what they were when they played Texas, you know, at their peak. Like there's just been so many injuries to this team. And I know we don't want to make too many excuses, but sure. this is not the same exact team. Like there's like there's guys out. Andrew Anthony's out. You know, uh, a lot of that game they play without. Walter Rouse at left tackle, they play, you know, a couple snaps with other offensive linemen just churning guys in. You get the weather that it changes, kind of takes away the strength of Oklahoma's offense, you know, the passing game that they've been so dominant throughout this season. And and then you have all the the, the different things that happen on the defensive side. Danny Stussman going out is in a massive, massive loss, which wasn't talked about enough, I don't think. that That's your leader of the entire team, probably not just the defense. The entire team goes out with the injury, you know. Gentry Williams, the cornerback of this team, didn't even show up, you know, to the game just because he was hurt. I mean, he's dealing with his own thing. So it's just like it's it's frustrating that that's what's going to be said. Like this Oklahoma team was never that good. And it's not the case. This, this Oklahoma team was a top four team. They were when they had everybody there and everybody on paper. It's just now they have to figure out the adjustments that they need to make now to keep moving forward. As we've said, the season's not over, right? I mean, it's just one loss. Uh, you guys already predicted there would be a loss this season. I, I predicted one as well, but not to Kansas, uh, so to speak. But mm. there's still everything that they want to talk about, everything they want to achieve is still in realm. And I talked to Andrew, Andrew Ram about that after the game. Every, all their goals are still there, except for going undefeated. Everything is still in play. So it's disappointing mostly because of the team that they lost to and the streak that they gave up. You know, it's the last time they're probably going to play in a long time. That's what that's what's most disappointing because the the team felt like they could beat, you know, Kansas, even with the guys they had on the field. I mean, as you said, they had the opportunities to make everything yeah. work for them. They had those 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 opportunities and just couldn't get over the hump, get over that last hump, get that last first down, get that last stop on defense, wasn't able to do that. So I think that's what's most frustrating about it because people that don't watch the game and don't understand what players are out there, they're gonna have a lot to say to OU fans and just not gonna be they're just not gonna be they don't know they don't know the full story. That's that's the thing. Yeah, and it's important to you know keep in mind too. I feel like this is getting a little lost in the conversation. Kansas is good. Kansas is yeah, not a bad yeah, team. I mean, the playoff yeah. rankings are going to come out tomorrow night for the first time. They're going to be in those playoff rankings. They have two losses, and even without their starting quarterback, Jason Bean is a high quality backup who's got elite top end speed. You saw it on that that touchdown run. Um, Kansas is not a bad team at all. This was on the road, big crowd. We've mentioned the weather a couple times already. I mean it. It was ripe for an upset. It was. It was only an eight-and-a-half-point spread, I think, it closed at. I mean, that's not – that's a game Oklahoma should win. They're the favorites. But mm -hmm. it's not some massive blow-your-mind upset either. Kansas is a solid team. So I think that has got to be kept in mind uh, a little bit too as we move into the back end of the season. So let's look at it. That's true too, it. And then sure. you look at like, – like I was talking about the injuries. I mean, yeah, you, no. you found your answer in Tommy Walker. I mean, the run game was there. All, all of a sudden – Oh, you can run the ball, 142 yards from Tyler Walker, and then he gets hurt late. And so that last drive when you really need to run some plays, get the you know the time off the clock and get a first down, he's not in there. I mean, it's just right. 
it was brutal things happening. It was like it wasn't meant to be, seems like, in the situation for OU. It just wasn't meant to be for them to win that game yeah. after everything that happened. All the small mistakes, all the small errors, some calls that didn't go their way that were kind of iffy here and there from, you know, some of the Big 12 referees. I don't know, but that's what that's what I noticed watching the game back. It was like, man, that's that's brutal, brutal stuff. Well, Tom, you wrote about it this morning, most penalized team in the conference uh, right now. Uh, that's yeah. going to get you beat, and it did. 11 penalties for 101 yards. Um, I think it's their most penalties since maybe the TCU game last year, I think it was. Mm. Um, most penalty yards since the 2020 Red River game. They won that game. They couldn't overcome it in this one. Um, you know, Offensively, they just had some penalties that were just kind of like negated some good plays and put them behind the chains, and that obviously puts them in, in opportune situations to you know keep the drives going. Defensively, you know, they only had, I think, four penalties on defense. Three of them were on the same drive at the mm -hmm. start of the fourth quarter, and it was costly. You had the uh, unnecessary roughness on Kendall Dolby. That, that was a bad call, in my yeah, opinion. 15 yards, and then right after that, you get a coach called for unsportsmanlike conduct on the sideline there for barking at an official. All <laughs> not Brent Venables. He made sure to clarify yeah, not that. not Venables. All of a sudden, you go from, I think it was like second and six. Uh, on, you know, in negative uh, territory for Kansas to first and 10 at the Oklahoma 23. Sure. And then, you know, they get down to the red zone, another opportunity, Oklahoma gets a third and goal stop, and then review triggers a targeting penalty against Reggie Pearson. Another guy out. Another, he, he's ejected, Kansas gets a first set of downs, scores on the next play. I mean, it's just... Self-inflicted things. I mean, you, know, you can argue, you know, the veracity of a couple of those penalties, but the bo bottom line is Oklahoma just did too many things that you know got in its own way throughout this game. Yeah, that that targeting penalty. I don't, I don't know about that. That's that's such a tough play to make because Reggie Pearson's such a, a a weird spot. The quarterback is running towards the goal line. I mean, like, it's like line. one yard away. There's no, there's never a point where he thinks, okay, the quarterback's going to slide here. Like, he's already in his motion of tackling the quarterback, leading with his shoulder, by the way, and the quarterback just decides to slide. I mean, that's that that can't be targeting there. I mean, this the way the replay shows it in slow motion, it makes it seem like, oh, he had time to pull up. That's that's not the case when it's that fast of a play. That that was frustrating. I think that was a that was a pretty iffy call there. I, I don't know. And I think yeah. they had to go by the technicalities of, well, he is defenseless because he is sliding. But there's no way for him to – for Reggie Pearson to know that's happening at the time. That's, yeah, I, I think by the letter of the rule, it's the right call. Um, yeah, that's what I'm saying. But, yeah. um, you know, it doesn't matter whether he was leading with his head or leading with his shoulder. It's forcible contact to a defenseless player. The weird part is the slide. I don't think it was an intentional slide. And, like, even in real time, I think Jason Bean kind of just stumbled and then kind of – stumbled into a slide you know it's an unfortunate break it's a bang bang play but i mean mm -hmm. what are you what are you gonna do about that i mean it's just yeah one of those calls no, nobody seems to know what targeting is whether it's right i or didn't right. love yeah i the kendall dolby one yeah that especially watching him back this morning i mean he he's wrapping him up i mean that was a tough one too and brett venables hated that call also he hated both both of them um and then we don't know what was said to draw the uh the coaching Ken penalty but all three of those were like a little on the side of ticky tacky. They were, and they hurt big time, like Tom the, articulated there. The Kendall Doby one was that. The, was the whistle blown? The I know. Was the whistle blown <laughs> before the suplex? 
Because if that's it the case, was, but it was like as if I remember correctly, it was like as it was, it was kind of like his foot was out of bounds. It was like whistle blow. Like it was just, it was not very late in my opinion. Okay. Um, okay. Again, so I'll just can't really hear from up there in the press box, but yeah, um, wasn't sure. So yeah, let, let's get. There's a lot to to get into. Let, let's start with the offense because right now, I think most if you peruse our message boards, our VIP subscribers, or Twitter, or our YouTube comment section anywhere. Um, people are very upset with Jeff Levy right now, um, and fairly so. He had a rough day. He's had a rough season. Um, throughout Jeff Levy's time at OU, he's been at OU for 21 games now. Oklahoma statistically has been great, and they've had stretches where they look like OU, um, throwing the ball over the place, running the ball, scoring lots of points. They have other stretches where they look just horribly inconsistent, and Saturday was like that. And the play calling, I, I'm always hesitant to get on play calling because I'm not a football coach, but there were some egregious decisions in this game. The Gavin Freeman jet sweeps, got to die. Those are so bad. That on the that first two point to the short side of the field, mind you, to think that he's going to get around that edge is preposterous. And then the, the worst sequence of, of all, and we both, we've kind of danced around it, after the Ethan Downs interception, we should have put the game away. You need one first down to win. The play calling subsequently after runs. that was really bad. Three runs. Two of them for one yard loss. Two yards. Yeah, yeah. With, with a penalty mixed in. And, yeah, if you had Tawi Walker, I could maybe – I could probably see run the ball on first and second down maybe even if you had Tawi, but you didn't. So you have to take that into consideration. To not throw the ball even once there was crazy to me. When you have – you need one first down to win the game. You're only at one point, too. Yeah. And also, yeah. Dylan Gabriel had completed 11 straight passes, like, to that point. Like, yes. I know he had the early interception uh, that was returned for a touchdown on the first drive. But after that, he completed 11 straight passes until Oklahoma's final drive of the game when they, you know, needed a touchdown with 55 seconds left. And he, you know, attempted six passes on that drive. But to be in that situation and just, you know, kind of turtle offensively and get really conservative and, you know, not try to just go for the win and put, put it away. Um, just an absolute missed opportunity and, you know, feels like a indefensible decision-making there by Jeff Levy. And I mean, he said it after the game himself, he said, you know, my play calling was not good enough today. That's why I'm standing here talking to you after a loss. It was not good enough. Offense was incredibly inconsistent. Um, there's a lot of things he said he'd like to do over. I think, First, first and foremost would be that first down call. Um, you know, he after the Ethan Downs interception, that is. Uh, I think if he could do it over again, he would have, you know, run a pass play there instead of, you know, running with Javante Barnes. Um, but I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty. Um, mm -hmm. He just needs to do better at play calling in those situations. And really, like, like you said, that whole game was just not his finest performance. Um, you know, they ran the ball 50-something times. And, hey, they, they had the be their best rushing performance of the season. Tawi Walker was great. Yep. Um, you know, Dylan Gabriel, three rushing touchdowns, did some things with his leg too. But it just felt like – I know the weather probably played some role in it. But, you know, you only attempt 19 passes. Dylan Gabriel has just 26 dropbacks, which is his fewest since 2020 against Temple. And like his fewest in a full game where he would, you know, did not leave because of a blowout or because of an injury. But it's his fewest amount of dropbacks in the game since 2020 when he was at UCF as a sophomore. Um, you know, just 19 pass attempts, his fewest since 
2019, his freshman season against UConn, you know, not including the TCU game last year when he exited with injury in the first half. But it just seems like we talked all season about, hey, Dylan Gabriel is, you know, the best offensive player on this team. You know, he was in the Heisman discussion, you know, at least up until this game. And it just felt like you weren't trusting your best playmaker to go out there and make plays. Yeah. Because the weather was a little bad because he, you know, threw an interception early that put points on the board. But, like, what are we doing here? Yeah. You have to no, trust he, you. You have to trust quick. your quarterback who has just all this experience, has put up all these numbers through his career to go out there and make a play in a tight game. Yeah. Well, Jump in real quick. I'm glad you said the trust thing because I get the weather. Trust me, I was out there. I get it. But it wasn't really affecting DG, like you said. He completed 14 of 19. He was playing well despite the weather. And then Jason Bean's got 32 passes. So you're telling me Kansas is – and they have Devin Neal. They have the running back as their best player offensively. And they they have more faith in Jason Bean to throw the ball around than Oklahoma had Dylan Gabriel to throw the ball around. That makes no sense. Go ahead, James. I think – so this is the thing, right? Um, the way Jeff Libby called the game, right? I mean, the offense scored 33 points. So, I mean, that's that's enough to win you a football game. Let's, let's first acknowledge that. Second, um, so the start of the game, the weather was not an issue. It was just cold. I mean, there's pictures that I put up, everything like that. It, it was not an issue. So the start of the game is where Oklahoma should have been more aggressive with their passing game because I think a lot of people knew that the weather was coming in after that situation. I mean, even Josh said it on the podcast last week. I mean, he's not a weatherman. So if he knew it then, yeah. I'm sure they should have known that, right? They get themselves into this 14-0 hole, and that's – that's what made it pretty difficult to come out of it. Now, the running during the weather, I don't think that's egregious. Uh, maybe as a lot of people have been saying. Like, yes, you trust DG, but a pass a pass attempt is not just one person. I mean, there's <laughs> you got to catch the ball too. You know, that that's the thing, and, and that's the difference. During that time, I mean, you, you're talking about Jason Bean throwing. I mean, there wasn't a lot of Jason Bean passes during that time either. A lot of the time, Kansas was just in the Wildcat running with, you know, Devin Neal and and, and Daniel Hyshaw, uh just running from the backfield. And, I mean, I talked to Billy Bowman about that. He was like, yeah, we did not expect them to run a wildcat that much. I mean, they, they kind of caught us off guard. And they didn't really prepare for that situation, I don't think, fully. And I think that's that's the difference in the game. It's just not being ready for the adjustment that you're going to have to make for the weather. That That's what it was. And then, as I said, getting that at 14-0 hole, having to come back the entire game, it changed a lot. Because you can't just rely on your passing, which is Oklahoma's strength, during the second and third quarter of the game. And I know Oklahoma's talked about one in the middle eight all season long. It's just hard to do that in that time. You know, they, they had to go to the ground. And you kind of get your running backs banged up doing that. And that's what happened in this one. Mm. Here's the thing. The 14 the 0 hole is obviously not ideal. But it's not like they had to claw back through it like the whole game. They scored 21 points in six minutes in the second quarter. Yeah, they had to lead for half time. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they had to lead at halftime. They were in they were in a good position despite the early mistakes that put them there. And and like James said, 33 points is enough to win the game. And I don't think people are necessarily, you know, bashing Jeff Levy for not scoring more. But you just needed 10 yards to win that game. You needed 10 mm -hmm. yards in one situation to win that game. And instead of trusting your you know, Heisman hopeful quarterback to go out there and help you get those 10 yards. You get a one-yard loss with a running back who has 
not been 100% all season. And that footage. <laughs> yeah. This is the first time that Javante right. Barnes had carries in a game since Tulsa. Um, a one yard, I don't even know what that QB keeper was on the second down play because it just looked looked like a mess. And and Dylan just went down for the one yard loss. And then another another third down run that got got you what five yards before a five yard penalty. It was on third and twelve. Yeah. Or the, yeah. 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 It's just like, like, go out there and win the game, man. Do not throw the ball. Don't at be least scared. In that yeah. sequence, is yeah, it's unforgettable. Hey, there's no, here's, there's no here's, yeah, I, I understand what you guys are saying. This is this is my point. It's, it's not. I'm saying it's not just Jeff Levy in that situation. I think injuries and the play calling and execution is what you know lost Oklahoma. It's not just Jeff. That's why I mentioned the 33 points because he called the plays. You also have fourth and six on defense, which is the strength of your team. And they don't they don't get to stop. I mean, that also is there. Yeah. yeah I think because of that, the though. injuries. They never got to that. The defense got to stop to win the game. The, I think yeah. because of that, the that injuries. The defense got back-to-back interceptions that should have won that game. Yeah. And Brent Venables, I mean, look, that that fourth down play is going to not Brent Venables for a while. Mm-hmm. And, like, he, he said it straight up after the game. It's like, I should have called a timeout there. So I should sure. the defense get yeah. set. Because in real time, I'm watching that. I was like, okay, Kansas is obviously going to go for this. Oklahoma's defensive line was not set. Jonah Lulu was looking over to the sideline waiting for the call while Kansas is getting ready to snap the ball. And and he wasn't the only one. And look, they get a 29-yard play and effectively end the game by getting down inside the 10-yard line with, you know, a little bit more than a minute left because all they needed was a field goal. And they obviously Mm – you know, got a touchdown on the next play because Oklahoma just let them score at that point to try to preserve some clock. Um, I mean, look, Kansas converted two fourth downs on that drive. You know, Oklahoma should get those stops. But, you know, at the end of the day, like Brent Venable said, like he needs to take a time out there and get his defense in the right position because they weren't set. Even if that allows Kansas to get the play that it wants. Right. You have to trust your defense to go out there and execute if they're set, if they're ready. Which they were not in that situation. Yeah, and that's that's my point. I'm just saying that it's not one. It wasn't one person, one situation. I think Oklahoma in every facet of the game lost lost this game, and that's. I mean, that shows you kind of how good this team is because I don't think any any section of this team was at their best or even you know half of their best in this game. I, I just don't think it. I just don't think it was. Special teams was bad. The yeah. defense gave up the most points given up this year. In the attempted field goal, we called that. They, they didn't get a yeah. They didn't tip the field goal. I mean, the offense <laughs> no, didn't. No, no, the no, offense no, didn't no, look no, their no. best. I mean, it's just there was. I don't think it's one person to blame on. That's that, that's my whole point. It's just not a person. To, it's everybody. Everybody had their lows, and I don't know if it started at a certain spot and it spiraled to everybody else. Maybe you could say that, but I think every facet of the game for all for Oklahoma was just not up to par in this game, and that's why they lost. You know, close game. Yeah, I mean, like, like I said at the beginning, it was a lot of like little issues that have kind of been on the periphery throughout the season, and they all kind of bubbled to the top and you know just came together. Sure. It was a perfect recipe for an upset on the road. Um, that's how these things tend to happen. But I mean, like, look, th- this is not a perfect team. It is a flawed team. It is a team that went six and seven last year, has done really well to turn things around this season. Um, but clearly, you know, they have their flaws, and I think a lot of those were kind of brought to the light. Um, Saturday against Kansas. I, I like, like I said, I don't yeah. think this guy's falling or anything, but there are definitely things that this team was able to get away with 
at times through the first you know seven games that it could not overcome because some of the other issues just compounded. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, you definitely can't, to Jane's point, you can't put it all on any one person. That, that'd be silly. But if you're doing the blame pie, blame pie chart, I feel like Jeff Levy gets the biggest slice. Just that that's my opinion. Um, we're eight games in. Oklahoma does not have a clear offensive line. Still rotating guys constantly. That's not the best recipe. You don't have a clear running back one. Todd Walker played great in this game, but it's been in and out on who we've talked about the running game all season. You don't have a clear wide receiver one. Angel Anthony went out. I mean, Jill Fruit got five targets in this game, had three catches for 11 yards. Got to get more involved. Got to throw the ball more. Got to trust your, what we were just talking about earlier. Got to trust your quarterback more. Nick Anderson and had that, that sequence again. That sequence at the end, after the down's interception, was so bafflingly bad that it's hard for me to even think about anything else almost because the game should have been over right there. Yeah, to, to your point about their series, Nick Anderson had one target, not not including that. Yeah, that's uh, worse. Two, that's not, not, yeah, not including that two point attempt. You know, he he had one target, and I think it came on the the final drive. Where is Brennan Thompson too? He gets in yeah. the game, catches a forty yard bomb. Would have liked to have seen him earlier. I yeah, like you and, get him the jet sweep around the edge, the fastest guy on your team. You know, yeah, if, if Brennan Thompson is healthy, like they need to find a way to get him more snaps because he is. I don't think he's as good as Andrew Anthony but he gives you the speed that your offense mm -hmm. is. And look, Nick Anderson's fast. Jaden Gibson's fast. Jill Farouk's fast. Andrew Anthony and Brandon Thompson have a different kind of speed at that at that outside receiver spot. Um, the type of speed that allowed you to stretch the field with Andrew Anthony. And we've seen with Brandon Thompson's two rece receptions this season that he has that speed too. Um, they need to find a way to get him some more opportunities to kind of get this passing game back to where it was – through those first six games. Yeah. And to be clear too, I'm not dumping on Gavin Freeman at all. I, he's a good football player. He's helped this team a lot in a lot of different ways in his two years. He's being misused in that, that role. That that's not the way to utilize his strengths. Um, just makes no sense to me. So yeah. yeah. You know, and kind of yeah. the same thing with Jalil Farouk in the backfield. Yeah. Just giving him like, traditional handoffs. Yeah, like I, I think you could find creative ways to get Jalil Farouk the ball that where you're not lining up at running back. Um, now I, f I forgot who said this on our board, but I, I saw the comment and I was like, this is like the perfect, you know, perfect way to explain it. It's, you know, if you take one of your best wide receivers and put him at running back, where you know a position that he's not like, obviously he played it in high school, but it's a position that he's not used to playing at this level. You're not only hurting your running back position, you're hurting your wide receiver position. Yep. And yep. it's just just misuse of, of of you know the talent that they have available to them, as Josh said. That's I mean that's what I said the yeah, post game. I mean we Josh and I have already harped a lot on that in our instant sure. recap. It was it's not just putting it's not just running him in the backfield. It was it was running him in between the tackles. I mean he's not he's not that big a guy. I mean yeah, I, I don't not, know. Like yeah. Yeah. He took a hit from a linebacker and just fumbled. I mean, it's it's a that's the LB difference there is in, insane. I mean, it's just it's gonna that's what happens. I mean, it's no knock to Farouk in that situation. I mean, that's just that's a tough that's a tough hit to take. I mean, I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. There's a reason running backs are usually a little bit more compact, yeah, a little bit bulkier because yeah, yeah. You know, to, to borrow to borrow a phrase from Brent Venables and Jeff Levy and all of them. They have to run through trash. Mm -hmm. they, have, they have to be able to 
churn out some yards while getting hit by a bunch of people from a bunch of different angles. It's hard to do. Yeah, 100%. Um, yeah, the last thing I, I guess I'll say on offense, Jeff Levy, is that the, the, more, the, the thing that makes it more maddening for an Oklahoma fan is that you've seen under Jeff Levy this offense look really, really good. Um, and so you know it's there. You know it's in there. And then it just they just they get weird. <laughs> they get they get away from what's working. They do funky things. They put funky thing players in in weird spots, and that's what gets uh, frustrating about it for an Oklahoma fan. So I do like that. Yeah. I do like that thought that Tom had of putting you know Brennan Thompson at Andrew Anthony's spot and putting Nick Anderson back to where he was at. I mean, because Nick Anderson being that that guy that can come in come through in a sticky situation, all of a sudden the defense not looking at him that. That works better for him. Well, like Brennan Thompson got one target. And Brennan, yeah, and Brennan Thompson. We all know what it was. Yeah, yeah. He, he, the times he's been in there has caught those deep passes. I mean, that's exactly what you need. That's exactly what you're missing from Andrew Anthony. Now, granted, Dylan Gabriel's connection with Andrew Anthony is a lot better than it is with Brennan Thompson at this point. But maybe just getting more reps there will, will change that because I don't think Dylan Gabriel's even caught up to Brennan Thompson's speed yet on the balls <laughs> he's thrown to him. I mean, Brennan Thompson has to come back. Not Man, just a little God. bit, which like what you want to do. He's come back a lot to catch those passes, and th- that's been that's changed the thing. So I think, I think they should get some connection going this uh, this week, get, getting some practice in and, and really honing that in and trying to find their rhythm. I think that would suit well for OU, and it, it would look pretty good because Brendan Thompson hasn't been a guy that's like, oh, he's dropping passes or something like that. I still you still look at it and trust him based on what he's done so far. Yeah, and look, I, I'm not calling for Brendan Thompson to like just slot into Andrew Anthony's role and get like his same target share, his same, yeah, that's same target share. Yeah. But, but you need him to get more than six snaps and like one target in the final minute. Um, mm-hmm. He is, he is the type of guy who can stretch the field and give this offense what it's been missing the last couple of weeks. Now, obviously Nick Anderson had those two longer touchdowns against UCF, but I, I think it's just different when you have a, you know, a real burner um, at those positions and just bring something different to the offense. And, uh, I want to say one other note on offense before we move over, sure. but circling back to Tawi Walker, um, like you said, 146 yards, career high, 23 carries, touchdown. More than half of his yards came after contact, 79. He forced nine missed tackles, which was <laughs> the most by any Oklahoma running back this season. I think most of any Oklahoma player this season in a game. Um, Tawi also had eight uh, forced missed tackles, I think, against SMU. Um Kansas just did not look like it wanted to tackle him. And then oh, he, he, he's a physical guy. He He's low to the ground. He's not afraid to take a hit. And in that cold weather, it could not have been fun trying no. to, trying to he hit. Does a, he does a good job, I think, utilizing his size. I mean, he's not a big guy. He's kind of on the smaller side in terms of height, but he's very bulky. But when he's, like, running, running the ball, he, like, hides behind one of the offensive linemen before he decides which way he's going. And I, I think as a defense, that makes it very difficult to figure out, okay, is he going to go right or left? I mean, and that just kind of helps him get past that first line of of the, the, the defense. And that, that looks pretty good to me. I, I like the way he runs the football. Yeah. I've been saying all season he should be the, the top back. Um, I still stand on that based on what we've seen in this game too. If oh, you can run the ball like that and not have to deal with that weather and have Dylan Gabriel and the receivers co- connecting the way they've been all season, I mean, this offense is it's pretty much unstoppable at that point. I think so. I think it's good that they found that Toby Walker is that guy. I think a lot of people have noticed that now. 
you know, he has his he had his little suspension here and there, so he's got to still find his you know way back in the coach's favor. But based on the production, it looks pretty good to me. Yeah, I mean, he was like clearly still kind of in the doghouse coming into this game because he was listed fourth on the depth chart running back. Mm-hmm. Gavin Sawchuk got the start again. Um, Javante Barnes came in and got some carries, but they very quickly realized that hey, Tawi's the guy that needs to be getting the bulk of these carries right mm-hmm. now. Um, and you know, if you're Oklahoma, you just hope that his ankle injury isn't something that's going to kind of linger, something you hope that he could get some treatment for and is available to play this weekend in the Bedlam. Yeah, him, him and Denny Stutzman, that's 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 a big thing this week. That's I think that's the two biggest keys this week. Are they going to are those two guys going to be available? You know, yeah. I think a lot of a lot of what happened with Oklahoma's offense was the weather and the play calling. But I think that'll change with Bellum. Obviously, the weather's going to be different. But can Denny Stutzman and Tommy Walker go at, at, at full speed? That's that's the biggest key, I think, of the week. Yeah, Tawi, he did. He had Kansas defense just in hell trying to tackle him. It just looked like no fun. Um, it was very on a much lesser scale, obviously. He didn't run for near 500 yards, but it felt a lot like Samaj P. Ryan against Kansas in 2014 mm-hmm. when he set the all-time single-game rushing record, which it still stands today. Very similar. Rainy, crappy weather day. That was in Norman. Just running over guys. Kind of similar builds, those two guys. And just, it was... Uh, yeah, it was it was fun to watch him do his thing. Big day for for Tawi. The Sooners Illustrated podcast. We'll be back after this short break. All right, let's go to our defense now. Do a little bit of defense here. Bad, bad. Uh, couldn't tackle. Couldn't tackle at all. Um, the weather plays a factor in that, but the tackling was really rough. Only had three tackles for loss. No sacks uh, in this game. Kansas ran the ball pretty well. We talked about that. You know, they limited UCF, but this great rushing offense wasn't the case. Devin Neal went for 114 yards and a touchdown. Bean got him on some scrambles. Obviously, that big, long one for the his touchdown run. Um, like we said, brutal injuries. Danny Sutzman goes down, played one snap in the second half, and said, can't do it. I, I was watching him coming off the field. He, he did one play, and he came off and shook his head like, I tried, I can't, you know, and so that's a big loss. Gentry Williams, obviously a big loss, which Woody Washington, Kendall Dolby are both playing well. Kendall Dolby, the kind of underrated, I mean, they didn't win the game, but one of the underrated big plays of the game was him breaking up that pass that led to Billy Bowman's interception, but not having Gentry and, and Danny Sussman both are obviously huge, huge guys to be missing out on, and it was obvious. Um, Jaron Canick graded out really poorly. He was the lowest graded guy on defense, right? Tom, um, yeah, not a good like day for him. Which is yeah, not great. I mean, really low. Um, not a good day for him in his, in his game back in his home state. Yeah, I mean, I don't. It was not not a lot to like defensively. This felt like a, a step backwards. Kind of what I said at the very beginning of the show. Twenty twenty two OU game. This felt like twenty twenty two OU defense uh, at a lot of this game. They did some nice things. Got some big turnovers. Got the big stop late, like we said, to win the game. But then offense couldn't capitalize. Had to get another stop and couldn't do it. Defensively, where are you guys at right now? This was this was not good. This was not good. Yeah, having like not having Danny Stutzman obviously changes a lot for them. He's a their lot. Yeah. best defensive player. He's their leader on the field. But even before that, they weren't playing great. Um, especially in that those first the first half overall, but those first 16 minutes, they just could not tackle. You know, it felt like you know, I, I fully expected to go and look at the pro football focus numbers yesterday and just see like a season high in missed tackles. Um, which was 18 against Texas a few weeks back. They only had him down for nine missed tackles, which like is like baffling to me. 
um felt like a whole lot more yeah yeah for sure jaron canick was credited with four of those missed tackles and it felt like all of those came in those first 16 minutes um it was it was just poor effort poor form from oklahoma's defense there early on um like you said they, they made some plays late but it it they got to be better than that, man. They they weren't disciplined, you know. Obviously, like, like I said, only four penalties on defense, but playing discipline with all the deception and the eye candy and the pre-snap motion that Kansas does, it just felt like they were kind of on their heels for a lot of the game. Mm-hmm. And, you know, credit to Kansas. They came out with a really good offensive game plan. They were coming off a of bye week, so they had an extra week to kind of hone in and prepare for this one. But, man, Oklahoma just looked out of sorts. Um, you know, that, that's two weeks in a row they haven't looked at their best. I do wonder, you know, how much of that is just that, hey, the nature of what Kansas and UCF do makes it harder to prepare for those types of offenses. And if, like, Oklahoma's going to come back down to, you know, not regress to the mean, but progress to the mean, so to speak, mm-hmm. when they face a more traditional offense these next few weeks you know, against Oklahoma State, against a West Virginia, and, and see how they respond to facing the offenses that they were kind of accustomed to seeing through the first half of the season. I mean, that's what I was going to say. I mean, you look at Kansas coming off that bye week, the execution that they had, the play, get, shout out to the coaches and the players for Kansas on that. I mean, they, they were executing that perfectly. I mean, the, the timing of everything, the timing of their pre-snap motion and to then snap the ball, it was getting all you all out of sorts. And, you know, and that's that'd be tough for any any defense to go through the way that, that Kansas executed it, man. It's just like there's you don't know which way it's going. There was like times where there's two or three guys in motion, then there's two or three fake handoffs in the situation. It was like, that's tough. I mean, I, I was I was getting lost at some points from the press box as well. Like who had the ball? You know, I, I I'm sure it's a lot more difficult when there's you know guys towering, you know, in front of you trying to figure that out as well. So it was pretty good stuff from Kansas. You give them their, their credit for what they did there and how they just just how they executed. Now, as Tom mentioned, Going from here on out, I think it'll be a little bit easier for Oklahoma. Now you know what Oklahoma State's going to do. You know, you you've seen what they've been doing yeah, on the ground. Gordon, They're going to hand the ball off the yeah. <laughs> and give it all to Gordon. Like you know what's going to happen, so you can prepare for that, and it's a lot simpler. You know now it's just you got to stop a guy that's you know playing like you know Barry Sanders at this point in the season. Not not saying he is him, but the, the numbers are there for right, for right now. That's that's just what it's going to be now. So getting back to that now. You, hopefully you don't see Oklahoma State go out there and try to do some eye candy themselves and try to get Oklahoma off guard because they teams have seen are seeing what's working against Oklahoma and that's that looks to be one of the things at, at this moment. Yeah, but it's hard to replicate that when it's not part of your kind of yeah, work. Yeah, true. That's true. So that's true. Especially um, not have a bye week as well. You know, like yeah, like and like look, a lot of people are going to say like you know Kansas and UCF, you know Kansas in particular runs like a gimmicky offense. It's like not a real offense, but like. This is where football is now, man. Like you look at the NFL, and like I'm, a, I'm a Miami Dolphins fan. I grew up a Miami Dolphins fan. Watching Mike McDaniel draw up plays is just like art. Like all the pre-snap motion, the the way they find creative ways to like get their playmakers in space, get them the ball. Like that is the point of the game, and Kansas did that really well um, on Saturday. Yeah, the explosive plays are killing you. Um... 39-yard touchdown, or, yeah, was that a touchdown? 39-yard pass to Mason Fairchild, 37-yard pass to Lawrence Arnold, 39-yard touchdown run for Jason Bean. Devin Neal had the 20-yard run as well. Um, that's why when I mentioned kind of at the beginning of the show, when you look at some, like, advanced statistics and some win probabilities, 
things like that. Oklahoma is 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 on paper or on a screen or whatever you want to say. They're looking like they should still be winning these games or have beat UCF by more or whatever. The big plays are just killing them, whether it's a bust or or what it is. Um, I don't know. I mean, you guys can assess that how you see it, but they got to find a way to, to cut that out. I mean, it's easier said than done, obviously, but down to down, OU defense is still good. I don't think this is like all of a sudden the defense is bad or something, but like play to play, they're still shutting down a lot of runs. They're still, you know, getting pressure. They didn't have any sacks this game, like I said. But, you know, it, that can all be undone by one fourth and six bomb you know, down the field. You know, that that's kind of the nature of, of playing defense. Oklahoma's got to find a way to cut cut those plays out. The 86-yard touchdown for half against UCF, like those things are killing them right now. And if they could find a way to limit those, it would make a big difference right there. Yeah, and look, I don't want this to sound like a cop-out because, like, I don't – here's how I'm viewing Oklahoma's defense right now. I don't think they're as bad as what we saw Saturday. I also don't think they're as great as what we saw against some of those cupcakes early in the season, the Arkansas State, the Tulsa. Mm-hmm. As the offenses that they've played have gotten better, they've kind of evened out. Um, I think they're closer to the middle. And like I guess I don't want that to be a cop-out, but I think that's just the reality yeah. of – they took advantage of playing some not great teams early in the season. They're having a tougher time as the offenses that they're playing are getting better. I still think this defense is a lot better than where it was last season. But I, like I said, I think this weekend kind of just like brought everybody back down to earth a little bit. It's like, okay, what are, you know, what, what is this team right now? And like I sure. said, it's, it's a team that's a lot better than it was last year. But it still has its flaws, and I think we're seeing that. And I, I think the explosive plays have been one of the, one of those big things that just like kind of a nagging issue that's recurring. You see, you see a few of them every week, and you know, for the most part, they've been able to get those red zone stops to to kind of you know blot those out. Mm. But eventually, the dam breaks, and you know, you, you see some of those flaws come to light. And you know, we saw that again this weekend. I mean, we see where. The weakness kind of happens. It's over the middle of the field. Like deep passes over the middle of the field, OU's not been very good at stopping. I mean, uh, that's one of the things I said going into the game when when the Kansas guys asked me, you know, where's, you know, the weakness in this defense, and that seemed like what it was again. I mean, once they once Kansas was able to, to go over the middle of the field, they did at the end of the game, kind of hit the sidelines, hit hit those those marks that you know at the Oklahoma tried to adjust, and it changed everything for them. So it's just it's just figuring that out, I guess. I mean. You 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 can see where it's at. Now it's just finding the solution for that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and, and like, like you said, like they gave up a few big pass plays in inopportune spots, but it's not like they were like getting lit up defensively in the passing game. I mean, Jason being completed forty seven percent of his passes. Like, sure, sure. Like, we're talking about. <laughs> I'm talking about the chunk, the big chunk plays that. Oh yeah, being that's that's what I'm that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, no, 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 no yeah. I'm saying like, like they. They need to clean up those mistakes, and we've seen them again and again. But, like, at the end of the day, Jason being completed 47% of the pass. So it's not like the defense was, like, completely awful. It's just that they're giving up these big chunk plays in inopportune spots, and it, it finally caught up to them. Mm-hmm. That, that, now, that that, that pass for uh, sure. Trace Ford, yeah. that interception he dropped, and the Kansas Trooper just came back in. That was – yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I'll let you do it, Josh. Well, I was just I was just thinking about I was just thinking about that play. I read my mind of man, Trace Ford can make just make that make that play, get another inch on his vertical and make that play. 
I watched a million replays of it. What did you? What were? What was the conversations like in the press box during that play? Because we're I'm on the film on the opposite side, and it seemed like he's out. He's out of bounds. Yeah. You know, it depends on. It depended on. Depending on what reporter you asked. Yeah, what reporter you asked. No, I, I heard some Kansas guys down to the left uh, saying, oh, yeah, you know, he he clearly reestablished himself inside. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, I don't know, man. It looks like his foot is like still, like his toes still down. And it was a weird play. I Because they called it a catch on the field, I think it's tough to overturn it. Yeah. Like, I need to go back and see, like, did they confirm it or did they just, like, let it stand? Because there's there's a distinction there. Because if they confirm it, there's like indisputable evidence that he was sure. inbound. Like he reestablished himself inbound. So they let it stand. It's it's inconclusive. We can't overturn it. That's a that's a tough break, man. And like like you said, like Trace Ford had an opportunity. Like if he could just get like an inch higher to pick that off. Um, it's been interesting to see how often they've kind of dropped him into coverage from one of those mm-hmm. end spots. But the other thing is, if Trace Ford didn't get his hand on that, I think it was Billy Bowman might pick that off. <laughs> um it's just yeah. it's, it's, it's just a really tough break for Oklahoma in that spot. Yeah, I mean sure. I think it's just I think it's just a shout out to Trace Ford to even be in that position because like he's a he's a defensive lineman, you know, he's coming all the way out there and being in that spot to even be able to make that play is it's it's pretty cool. But as you said, if he hadn't put his hand on it, the receiver would have been out of bounds and he wouldn't have been able to reestablish himself in time anyway. And so it's kind of like it's it's a tough situation because like he made he did a good job of getting in position. But because he just couldn't jump just a little bit higher or time has jumped just a little bit better, it ended up hurting Oklahoma because the receiver established himself. I don't know. I'm doing air quotes for, so, for those that are listening on the podcast. I, I don't know. We'll, it was close. It's close. Uh, yeah. it's yeah, look, I, don't, close. I don't think any of us are, are faulting Trace Ford for trying yeah, yeah, to yeah, yeah. No, for sure. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. It was, a good, it was a good job by him. It's just a, like sometimes the ball just takes kind of a uh, Kind of a microcosm for the whole day. It's tough ball. because it's, it's just not like – you know what he's trained to do like he's not he's not supposed to be out in coverage you know he's I mean? a defensive so, end for a reason yeah yeah <laughs> so that's that's, that's what i'm saying Brock, year, right? but i say him for being in position pick at the end yeah. of the game too so yeah yeah ethan downs did have one so i mean that's yeah. maybe that's just the way the defense works man what a play by ethan downs that 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 part stinks for for just for him and he's not going to care about it he's he's you know a team guy and he would never say it but like that was a play that should have been like lived and talked about for like a long time like remember when ethan downs made that sick interception to buckle up the Kansas game, and then we all know what happened after. But that was an amazing play by him, both in terms of the athleticism and just the anticipation of it, because he just he read screen. He faded back, and he just read it the whole way, made a great mm-hmm. play on the ball, and just did that. It's too bad that didn't win the game like it should have. Um, but he- heck of a play by Ethan Downs on that. And then, like I said earlier, the Kendall Dolby pass breakup to ricochet it over to Billy Bowman, that was an excellent play as well um this was also just a brutal game just lots of injuries hard hitting the weather um yeah the saw mccullough i thought was pretty good had some nice open field tackles in this game anything else defensively um that stuck out i mean it just like we said it's it's just not not their best and the weather played a part in it, i'm sure but both teams are in the weather obviously um not their best not their best day yeah, I mean, I, I think we pretty much covered it all. Yeah, yeah. I want to point this out before I forget about it. It's not defensively, but the the two times that Oklahoma went for two point conversions in the second half, they go for the extra point. You now have a three point game, and on that last drive, you just get the field goal and tie it. So, you know, that, that's also tough too when you look at it in hindsight. It's like 
Well, in those spots, it makes sense to go. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm not saying those are bad decisions. I'm saying, but in hindsight, like man, they could just ah. The play calls were bad. Yeah, on the two point conversions, the Gavin Freeman jet sweep to the short to the short side of the field. What are we doing? What are we doing? But but yeah, like like you said, situationally, it's it's the right decision to go for two, just because of where the point spread is at at that point of the game, and like you don't know how many more opportunities either team's going to get, and you you want to you know. Get those points to make it tougher to, right, for Kansas to you know take a lead or win or whatever maybe in that situation. But yeah, the, the the play calls were tough and and also before we finish this off, but the the play call on the last play of the game for Oklahoma when you know you're at what like the 26 yard line whatever it was and you're you know you have one shot to go to the end zone and. Austin Stogner and Jalil Farouk are the two receivers in that area. Mm-hmm. Like, why not Nick Anderson or Jaden Gibson, your two biggest receivers who can you know get up over guys and make a contested catch? Jaden Gibson is like exclusively made contested catches <laughs> yeah. this season. Could have used them there. You no know, target. That, yeah, I don't remember where they lined up. Like, was Nick Anderson and Jaden Jaden Gibson on opposite sides of the field? I need to watch it again and see like exactly. I, I how believe. I believe they were together to. That's what I'm saying. Like, if they're yeah, on, the, if they were the, on the right. left, that means the pass is supposed to go there regardless. If they're on the opposite side of the field, maybe maybe it makes sense that you give yourself two different sides to work with. But if they're on the same side, also not a good side you got to go to. Nitpicking, hmm. but it was it was a little a little deep into the end zone, kind of went through the yeah. back. Yeah, I, like, I, I think that was just a like we said before, like no one person is blame. I think that's a combination of not a great play call or play design, and you For know, sure. yeah, not not a great decision by Dylan Gabriel to throw it to where he did, but maybe he didn't have the opportunity to throw it to the. He might not have seen it. Yeah, might have he might it. not have had a clean, you know, spot to throw it to Nick Anderson, Jane Gibson, just the way the play, you know, shook out and developed in real time. It's just, it's just yeah. a weird day for. Also, uh... Yeah. Also, just kind of a, to make sure we get it in. Another bad day for special teams. Um, didn't attempt a field goal in this game. Probably a wise move. Um, but Marcus Stripling boots the kickoff. Didn't have hurting them because they got a stop and Kansas missed the field goal back the other way. But that was bad. Um, he looked not good about that from the moment it was from the moment it was kicked and he was underneath it. It felt like this could be trouble. Hey, they also they also got yeah. a turnover on special teams. I was, say, I was gonna say one, Bryce. I'll shout out Robert Spears Jennings for getting that hit and you know keeping the, the return of him after he yeah, fumbled it. Yeah, that was a nice up. play. Give um, him his his kudos, Oklahoma yeah. guy. The um the sequence also, and it's not that big of a deal. I guess the, it could be depending how you look at it. But the sequence of lining up to punt, getting the delayed game, and, and then, then somehow taking so long to get back to ready to punt again that you then blow a timeout is preposterous. I, I think a, how do you not get ready fast enough when this they're already out there and then B why would you blow a timeout to save 5 yards on a punt? Yeah. That was double bad. I think they didn't have enough men on the field on that play. I need to go back and look, but I think that's what it was. It's like they burned the timeout because they only had 10 guys on the field. Um, and didn't want to put in that. It's but again, like you said, take yeah. another penalty, back it up five yards, save that timeout. Like it's just you're at like midfield ish. Yeah. So it's like not going to hurt you on the. Yeah. That that was bad. That was rough. Maybe would have liked to have that timeout toward the end. Who knows if it makes any difference at all. But yeah, it was just a, it was just a confounding day all around. Um, yeah. I think it's the best way to sum it up. Like I said, the best way I could describe it 
is that it felt like a 2022 game. And poor that, clock management, poor, you know, just a lot. That, that 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 game is like exactly how it felt in Lubbock last year, how it felt um West Virginia. West Virginia game last year. Like uh, you can count them up. Like that that that's how they all felt. And that, that's that that's the thing. If for those that want to look at it with the, the glass half full situation, I mean like they played so bad. That was like the worst game they could have played, seemed like and still just a five point game. I mean, that's just sure. So, yeah, they, they played uh, that bad. All every fast the game left. still had a chance to win. I mean, that's sure. that's why I, st- I think that's why they they didn't drop as far as maybe I initially thought. Dropping the ten in the AP poll, which actually not going to matter after this week, but Play dropping the ten in the AP poll, yeah, it's yeah, it's not bad. At least people still see that this is a good team. So let's yeah, let's let's spin it forward. Obviously, Bedlam's this weekend. We'll give some brief thoughts on that. The full preview will be on Thursday, but. Just moving forward, like we said, the, kind of at the very beginning of the show, season's not over. Everything is still out in front of you. Now, I don't know if it's a full-blown guarantee that Oklahoma wins out, wins the Big 12 they're in. I'm inclined to believe that would be the case. I'm like 90%. But there is a path there. This never happens. But if you want to be you know, pessimistic and say Georgia wins out, Florida State wins out, a Pac-12 team wins out, and then one other one I'm forgetting right now, oh, Big 10 team, um, like, oh, you could get left out. But – Odds are, most likely, in my opinion, if Oklahoma were to win out 12-1 to Big 12 champ, they probably are still going to get in there. So it, they still have a lot to play for. It's not like the season's over by any means. They're 10 in the AP, like James just said. Going forward, where are you guys kind of at in the expectations and what Oklahoma is still capable of? Because like Tom mentioned at the beginning, you have to be careful not to reset your expectations. It's not fair to the team. At the beginning of the year, Tom, myself, and Colin all picked out to go 10-2. and two. So they're still obviously in great shape to do that and potentially even surpass that. So it's not fair for us to sit here now and say, like, they stink when they're on pace of a better season than we all thought they were going to have. So where are we at going forward? How do you kind of feel confidence-wise? Can they get it back on track? Do you still think that winning out is completely plausible and they can still make the playoff? Just kind of where are you at now temperature-wise, temperature check on kind of the, the team and the expectations moving forward now? Yeah, I think the the playoff talk probably needs to be tamped down just a little bit. Got to get through this week. You get through this week, yeah. you can bring it back up. Yeah, I, I think you know the Big Twelve championship is very much I, like, like I said, everything is still in front of them. Um, they they still control their own path. This weekend feels almost like a de facto Big Twelve semifinal, mm-hmm. um, just because of the way the the tiebreakers are and the standings right now with what five teams with one loss. You don't want to lose to one of those teams that has just one loss because then they have the tiebreaker over you. So yeah. this, like, win this weekend, you feel a lot better about, you know, the, the final three game stretch heading into December. Um, but yeah, I think that they're, you know, they're still in position to do everything that they want to do coming into the season, except you know, go undefeated. But um, making it to Arlington is is still very much on the table. You gotta you gotta win Bedlam. Um but yeah, I would just like reel the playoff talk back in a little bit just because obviously now that you have a loss, the path is a little bit harder because of you know who's in front of you and you know however many undefeated teams between you know Washington, Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, Florida State, like chips need to fall your way, but what you can do is take care of your own business. Yeah, I mean, I still I only had them losing one game this year, you know, before the season. That was that was my my bold take. You know, it's the team that they lost to, so happened to change. But 
other than that, they're still, you know, where I expected them to be. Now, the one thing I'll be concerned about is what, what players are going to be available. As I talked about, Danny Stetson, Tommy Walker, right. Rouse, guys like that. All who's available? Because if those guys aren't available, I don't see. I can, I just can't see it. I can't see them winning everything that, that we thought they would uh, without those guys. It's just not going to happen. They they just lost to Kansas. I mean, it proved it. So um, with those guys in there now, I'm still. I'm still like, okay, this is this is exactly the team I thought they were going to be. They should they should win the Big Twelve championship game, all those type of things. Because as Tom mentioned, there are five teams that are that have just one loss so far. Oklahoma is one of them, so let's take them out. So there's four teams. They they have the tiebreaker over two of the teams already, and they're going to play the third one on Saturday. So if you can win that against Oklahoma State, you're in very good position to at least just make the Big Twelve championship game and win that. And that's an accomplishment in its own right. If Oklahoma could just win the Big 12 championship, not even talking about playoffs just yet, that's that's a big that's a big thing to go to head into until next season when you feel like you're going to be even a better team anyway. So just winning that Big 12 title game or making the Big 12 title game is already the first step, I think, and the bigger picture that Oklahoma wants to look at. But as as Josh said, I mean, it, it'd be tough to keep OU out if they're a one loss team and a Big 12 championship team. It, it, it'd be tough, you know. They it seems like every year that 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 does happen that things do fall in Oklahoma's favor and they get in. I mean, they're used to being a one-loss team in the playoff anyway. I mean, that's just what it's been since it started. So let's see what happens, man. Just if you win your games and take care of your business, see what happens. That's all you can do. For sure. It all comes down to this weekend. I mean, if you if Oklahoma's going to be pretty comfortable favorites in their last three games, West Virginia at home, at BYU, TCU at home. Those are three teams that you should beat. Obviously, you never know football, sports. Um, but Oklahoma should be okay in those three games. I'd be surprised if they lost them. I wouldn't be surprised if they lost this weekend. I think, you know, we'll pick the game and everything on Thursday. But Oklahoma State's playing good football. They're, Oklahoma's only a five-and-a-half-point favorite as it stands right now from Caesars going into this weekend in Stillwater. And that place is going to be absolutely on fire. It's the last bedlam. So, yeah, it's all about this weekend. You win this weekend, you can kind of get everything. Everything comes swoop, swooping back in to uh into vision but obviously if you lose now it's really just kind of okay finish strong and take care of whatever bowl game you're in so on that note this weekend bedlam last bedlam for who knows how long maybe forever probably not forever but a long time um it's going to be insane i've been to stillwater before uh at boom picking stadium two years ago was a madhouse we all remember what happened that night and subsequent sunday morning um, and now they head back there to 2.30 kick on Saturday afternoon. The weather does look great. It's going to be a, an electric atmosphere. Early thoughts. Obviously, we'll preview the game on Thursday in full, but as you stand right now, what are some thoughts about the matchup? Obviously, Ollie Gordon is running around everywhere for the Pokes right now. They're playing good football. They were left for dead a month ago. They lose to South Alabama by 30 points almost at home, and everybody's like, they stink. And, man, they've turned it around since then. They're playing good football right now. They just rolled over Cincinnati on Saturday. What are some thoughts? Bedlam, going to be fun. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it starts and ends with being able to wrangle Ollie Gordon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I don't want to say it's, it's it's that simple, but I mean, like that. Kind of is. It's kind of yeah. that simple. I mean, if you can slow him down, it obviously takes away a lot of what Oklahoma State can do. Um, he's bidden to what keeps their engine running right now. Um, they've obviously sorted out their quarterback situation that they were, you know, playing roulette with earlier in the season. Um, yeah. That kind of led to, among other things, that loss to South Alabama. But 
Yeah. Got, got, got to stop Ollie Gordon, see where the health of this team is at. Um, obviously, if Danny Stutzman's out, that changes a lot of things. Um, I would expect to see a lot of Kip Lewis if that's the case. Um, Kip, guy we, guy, we, guy we didn't mention when we were talking about the defense, but he came in there. He was really good, especially against the run. Um, yeah, just a nice thing. Continue, we lean on heavily. If, yeah, yeah no, con, con, continues to just be a playmaker when he's out there. Um, I think this was his most substantial opportunity, uh, opportunity to date there against Kansas, and he delivered, but – you obviously want any Stutzman back with just everything he brings to this team. But Oklahoma's got to clean up a lot of things, man. It's going to have some long, very blunt discussions with itself in team meetings this week, um, get some things sorted out to get back on track. Yeah, with Danny Stutzman, I mean, it's just it's just tough to replace that vocal leader. I know Kip Lewis had a very good you know game performance-wise. It's just like that's what Jaron Kennick said. I mean, it's just like that vocal leader – changes a lot of things and when if you play on some sports you know like that, that that that's that's a big thing having a guy that you can rely on to, to be there to keep everybody motivated and keep everybody going is a is a pretty good thing especially when it gets in a tough situation so just stopping ollie Gordon is, is the is the main key i mean that's that's who you expect to be the guy that they go to i mean there's no reason why oklahoma state wouldn't hand on the ball and, and see what he can do against this defense now oklahoma's been good against you know the run defense and i mean the run offense at times but Stopping him is going to be is still going to be a challenge regardless because Oklahoma State's found their way. Like if you, it's like one of those things. Like the way college football works, if you lose early, you, you're all, you're like better off at the end of the year because you're you're churning now. You figured everything out. Like Oklahoma just lost late, so now it seems like Oklahoma State may be the more dangerous team at this time. It's just like it's rough. So you got to reprove yourself now, and it's going to be uh, a very good challenge with a running back running that way that he is at this point in time mm -hmm. because. That's going to take clock off the. That's going to take time off the clock, and if you're behind, you're behind on them, that's that's tough to come back from. For sure, you know I, I've been around Oklahoma for a while now, and on Saturday when that game ended, Jaden Gibson, Jalifruk both just slammed their helmet into the turf um, and just disgust. And um, you know a lot of players came off towels in their head, hands in their face, you know, face in their hands. Just that was as like, I don't know the right word, angry, just frustrated, upset, as I've really seen uh, Oklahoma players after a game. And so I, I think that there's a high probability that they're going to attack this week the right way. It's not going to linger. And that we'll see a very motivated team on Saturday, almost kind of like the Texas game. Like, I think they're going to be juiced and ready to go for this. So we'll talk about that more on Thursday. I'm excited to see. It's going to be crazy in Stillwater. Um, excited to get that's over the, there. It's going to be fun. That's the good thing about Oklahoma's been playing down to their competition or up to their competition. That's the good thing about it, because now you're playing you're playing another team that's up. So you should expect one of the better Oklahoma teams to show up in this one if everybody's yeah. healthy. That's the good sure. part about it. It's going to be fun. First bedlam for Tom. Welcome to the rivalry. <laughs> it's going to be fun. First, uh, and last, first and last. First and last. Um, look forward to it. Be sure to keep up. Oklahoma247sports.com. So much reaction coming out of the weekend. And uh, obviously, we'll be turning the page now, certainly, to Bedlam Preview. A whole lot coming your way on the Bedlam side of things over the course of this week, getting ready for this ball game. Um, going to be fun. Uh, looking forward to it on Saturday. YouTube channel, going to have all the press conferences, player interviews, things like that. We're talking to players tonight um, after practice. So look forward to that, seeing kind of the temperature vibe coming out of the practice. First practice back after the game on Saturday. And then on Saturday, we'll all be there in Stillwater. It's going to be a lot of fun. Also, Wednesday night, basketball exhibition. If you're interested in that kind of thing, have a little bit coming out of that Scrimmage. as well. Scrimmage. Scrimmage, yeah, whatever. 
It's like a spring <laughs> type of thing. Yeah, playing play themselves, not not and playing someone else. So we got a little little, little hoops peak. Their openers on Monday. Believe it or not. So Thursday we'll we'll uh, look ahead just a, just a little, just a little on Thursday to the start of uh, Porter Moser's third year as well. Getting to be that time, November coming up here. Uh, next show will be in November, so look forward to that. All right, that's it. We'll catch you back on Thursday. Full bedlam preview. We'll loop Colin Kennedy in for all this on the recruiting side. Since picked up a commit over the weekend, we'll talk about that with Colin on Thursday as well as, like I said, preview the basketball season just a little bit and get you all ready for bedlam this weekend in Stillwater. That's it. For Tom Green, James D. Jackson, I'm Josh Callaway. We'll catch you guys Thursday for the next edition of the Sooners Illustrated Podcast. See you.